This episode is brought to you by Odd Mo's Pizza in Canby. Handmade awesome pizza plus craft beer, wine, and cider delivered. Order today at 503-263-8444 or visit them online at oddmoes.com. This episode is also brought to you by Canby Foursquare Church. Since 1978, a place to grow, connect, and serve. Sunday services on campus and online at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Learn more at canbyfoursquare.com. Welcome to Now Hear This Canby, your source for news. The threat of a possible teacher strike was avoided this week. There's a new irresistibly cute creature winning over fans, and its name is Scootaloo. Sports? It's like Lucy in the football. You want to kick a field goal, but they take it away from you. We had to learn how to win. Goal can't be in the last second of the game! And interesting conversations. Because I'm one of the strongest girls ever, and I know that for a fact. (laughs) I just really enjoy writing gossip as if I was a bear. (laughs) With an old maid daughter that makes the best moonshine in the coast. (laughs) If it would have hit me in the face, I think I would have died. I really do. I guarantee you would have died, man. Are you kidding me? Welcome to Now Hear This Can Be Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Tyler Clawson, and this is what's happening this week in our community. City Administrator Scott Archer has announced he will be leaving Canby after two and a half years of service to accept a new role as Deputy Chief Administrator in Salem. Officials announced this last week. Archer's last day with the Canby City will be May 5th. Archer led the city government through several disasters, including the later phases of the COVID-19 pandemic and the ice storm and heat dome of 2021. His tenure also included the completion of several major municipal projects, including the new pickleball complex at Maple Street Park and downtown railroad quiet zone and Grant Street Arch. The announcement came during Wednesday night's Canby City Council meeting. Though it was no real surprise, a discussion regarding the upcoming city administrator position vacancy and succession process has been included on the night's agenda published earlier in the week. It has truly been an honor and a privilege to serve as your city administrator for the past two and a half years, Archer told the city council and Mayor Brian Hodson on Wednesday. Though brief, Archer believes his time with the city was positive and impactful. Collectively, we've accomplished or made significant forward progress on numerous important initiatives and projects for Canby, he said. Each of these is a testament, not to me, but to the collective teamwork of the city organization and the entire community. It really is a reflection of the can-do spirit of Canby. The most cherished memories of my work with Canby are the day-to-day and ongoing interactions with so many wonderful people, and I'm just so appreciative of that. I'm grateful for my time with the city. I wish all the best for Canby and everything in the future. 
Canby marked Archer's first foray as a city manager. Though his local government experience spans three decades in a wide variety of roles, most recently as the director of the North Clackamas Parks and Recreation District from 2016 to 2020. In his new role with the City of Salem, Archer will oversee parks and recreation, the library, senior center, youth development, neighborhoods, sheltering and homelessness response, and other community programs and services. On Wednesday night, Hodson and several counselors warmly thanked Archer for his service to Canby and wished him well. I appreciate everything you've done in this role for us, Hodson said. There's a lot to be proud of, and I'm still not thrilled that you're moving on, but I do appreciate everything you've done for us very much. Scott, I was very sad about the news that you're leaving us, Counselor Herman Maldano agreed. However, I believe Salem is going to get a rock star of an administrator down there. Thank you. Counselor Chris Bangs also expressed his appreciation for Archer's service and disappointment at his departure. While nodding to the recent controversy that has entangled the city council, city government and staff, primarily city attorney and assistant city administrator Joe Lindsay. I'm disappointed that he's moving on to Salem. I don't know if that's going to help our city, Bang said, and I want to express frustration to this council for creating the situation that we've been in. Banks took the opportunity to fire shots in the direction of some of the council's more conservative members, who claimed the board's majority in the November general election. I just want to point out that you all have the majority now, Bang said, and in six weeks you've managed to shut down all progress in our city because of the executive session we held on February 15th. Canby deserves better. You guys can run the city just with your majority without violating public meeting law and without violating government ethics, and so I request that you do that. Bang's comments did not appear to be well-received by several of his colleagues, seemingly least of all by Council President Tracy Hensley, who sighed loudly and rolled her eyes. The Council discussed the idea of appointing an interim city administrator while the search for a permanent replacement gets underway, and revisited the subject of a special meeting Tuesday, April 25th, but has not yet settled on a candidate to lead the city government in Archer's absence. The Canby School District is seeking parents and community members to participate in a committee reviewing 36 books that were pulled off library shelves earlier this year in response to formal requests for reconsideration by two local parents. For a request like this, we follow procedure for reconsideration, Communications Director Kristen Holler said in an email to district community members Thursday. The books are not banned. The district has agreed to hold the requested books out of circulation until they can be reviewed by a committee, and that's where you come in. We would like to begin the review process as soon as possible. District officials said it hopes to build review committees that represent our district community and that not all interested parties may be able to participate due to limited space. 
Each committee member will be asked to read four of the 36 titles and complete a rubric for each one. The review will take place over the course of a full-day meeting from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Tuesday, May 23rd, or Wednesday, May 24th. Those interested in participating should fill out the district's online form by Friday, April 28th. The district's decision to pull the 36 titles based on somewhat ambiguous policy that was designed to address concerns about curricula and mandatory instructional materials, not library books, has drawn criticism from students, parents, former education, and anti-censorship groups. Many of the titles frequently appear on lists of the most banned books in school libraries across the country. Most of them are about or written by Black, Latino, LGBTQ, or similarly underrepresented authors. All but six of the authors on the list are women. In almost every case, the two parents noted that they had not fully read the materials they were asking to be reconsidered, saying they had reviewed only portions of them or relied on online reviews. Around 50 students participated in a demonstration at Canby High School in March carrying signs such as Educate, Not Indoctrinate, and I Have the Right to Read. And the book's removal has been widely covered in regional and statewide media. And in a Canby School Board meeting earlier this month, students, parents, and community members declared the list of titles and its apparent targeting of minority voices and diverse perspectives. They also questioned the move to pull the books and the reasoning for it, given that school library policies already gave broad latitude to parents in restricting their own children from checking out certain titles. With the fate of the old Kara schoolhouse, known as the White Building, on the line, a group of local residents has emerged with plans to save the historic structure from demolition and relocate it to nearby Beaver Creek to serve as a community center. The group, known as Friends of the Karis Historic White Schoolhouse, formed earlier this year and is working with the hamlet of Beaver Creek to save the nearly 100-year-old former school building, which is located at the corner of Karis Road and Highway 213. The Canby School District has, for more than a year and a half, sought to sell the building for the bargain price of $1 with the understanding that the buyer would assume the costs of removing and relocating the structure. The project is part of planned work at the Karras Elementary School campus made possible through the $75 million capital improvement bond the district voters approved in May 2020. In January, district officials confirmed that they were working with a serious buyer who hoped to acquire and relocate the two-story, 4,720-square-foot schoolhouse. But those plans fell through in late March, according to Chris Ritter, chair of the new committee. This committee has been working non-stop to secure the transportation of the building to an appropriate Keras location and the various services needed, Ritter told The Current in an email. The goal is to offer this historic building to the hamlet of Beaverton community as a center to meet, enjoy theater, hold classes, sell local products, celebrate, and enjoy community. 
She added that the group is working with Clackamas County to secure a land use application for the new permanent site. The committee hopes to share more about their plans and progress once approval for the county is in place. We look forward to continuing the story of this 1926 schoolhouse that has served our community for nearly a hundred years, she said. Ritter said the group's goal is to move the schoolhouse by July 1st to meet the district's plans for rebuilding the parking lot at Karis Elementary School. The league champion Canby High School Concert Choir will perform their state set alongside the community's alumni choir in two separate joint concerts this week at the Canby Fine Arts Center. Canby High School music teacher and choir director Brooks Gingrich has been leading concert choirs to the state tournament for upwards of two decades, but he said he's particularly excited by this group's dedication and cohesiveness. Their attention to detail and support for each other has been really inspiring for me, he told Now Here This Can Be. Their trust in each other is off the charts, and they work so hard to learn the music. They're the biggest choir in Oregon, and another thing that makes us unique is the number of young guys singing. This week's concert will also feature the talents of Canby High School Alumni Choir, formed by the voices of former choral students and led by Brooks Gingrich and his uncle Tom Gingrich, who taught choir from 1977 to 2008 when his nephew picked up the torch. Tom estimates that there are thousands of singers who have sung under their direction over the years. We began rehearsals in 2014 with about 60 singers, including three generations from the Ken Kaufman family, Tom said of the alumni choir. Today there are 90 participants, including some students from the advanced concert choir. Singing provides purpose and pleasure for a lifetime. The alumni choir performs choral masterworks from the classic repertoire. It begins practice in January, meeting once a week and culminating in April's concerts. This year's Alumni Choir is serving as an advocacy group to restore elementary and middle school choirs that were terminated during the COVID pandemic, Tom added. We welcome any encouragement the community might offer to the school board members and administration. The concerts will be held at 7 p.m. Thursday, April 27th and Friday, April 28th. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Tickets are $10 and available at Cutsforth's Market in advance or at the door. All proceeds benefit the Canby High School Choral Program. Camby's beloved Casey the Cougar has gotten a makeover. Camby High School unveiled a fresh new design for its Cougars logo during a brief event at the Applied Technology Center Thursday afternoon. Produced by students and staff in the school's graphic design department, the new logo incorporates several timeless elements unique to Camby into a sleek modern design. 
School officials said the refresh is intended to coincide with the school's new $23 million science and general education wing, which is funded by the bond voters approved three years ago and is expected to open this fall. With all the building updates, the new wing being added to the school, we wanted to use this opportunity to refresh our campus with a new logo, said graphic arts teacher Ian Eilert. The modernized Cougar logo was pitched as part of the idea to brand the new wing. Once administrators agreed on the look, the design underwent its greatest tests, students. Several groups of students, including leadership, graphic design, and yearbook staff, all approved the design. The new design incorporates several classic elements subtly hidden in the design, including the three whiskers representing Canby's three rivers and the mouth and teeth forming a C in honor of the community's name and mascot. Thanks to the passage of the 2020 bond, our campus will have a fresh new look and new logo, Canby High School principal Kari Sloan said. This logo was designed to be unique to Canby and symbolize our amazing school and community. The school last saw a new logo in 2015 when student Dane Archer won a design contest with a lifelike front-facing cougar head that discreetly contains the words, Canby Cougars. That logo will live on in the school's history while the community enjoys the new design, which Eilert believes will stir up excitement and stand the test of time. To see the progress on the 50,000 square foot wing that's under construction at the back of the school near Cougar Stadium, visit the district's bond information webpage. Hey, Frankie, how's that new internet deal you just signed up for working out? Uh, Not great, actually. Oh, sorry to hear that. How so? Well, my bill ended up being way more than I thought it would. I actually have this statement here. Uh, Apparently, I had to pay more for high data usage. Oh, yeah. Some providers will get you for that. Sometimes they have data caps, and they can slow down your speeds and charge you extra for going over. So I'm being punished for using my connection? That doesn't seem right. (laughs) I'm with you there. What else does your bill say? A lot. I had to pay extra for faster upload speeds to get Wi-Fi equipment, and there's also this infrastructure fee? I looked that up and it turns out it's a fee so they can build out their network, mostly in other cities and states. I hate to say it, Frankie, but it sounds like you might have only taken into account the flashy sale price and not all the fine print charges. (sighs) You may be right. You should switch your internet to DirectLink, Cambie's local cooperative provider. They don't have any hidden fees and don't nickel and dime you for using your connection. Plus, Wi-Fi is included in your internet subscription. That sounds great. I could really use a new router and these data overage fees are going to add up really fast. It couldn't be easier. Just give them a call and ask about Omni. It's their all-in-one internet service that includes Wi-Fi, enhanced security, great parental controls, and easy-to-use network management apps. And there's really no hidden fees? They won't charge me for streaming and gaming a lot? Nope. You get fast download and upload speeds, unlimited data use, reliable and secure Wi-Fi, and local service included with any DirectLink fiber connection. Give them a call today at 503-266-8111 or visit www.directlink.coop.
All right, so we are here at the headquarters of uh, the corporate headquarters, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of uh, Vision Brewing. Oh, yes, yes, the, the sky rises of uh, Aurora, Oregon, with the, the two co owners and co brewers, Mitch Puga. Hi, Mitch, how are you? Not too bad, Tyler, how are you? Awesome, doing great. And also, Willie McIntyre. Hey, man, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, tell me a little bit about Vision Brewing and what happens here. So we started about two and a half years ago, okay. and basically we were home brewers for a little while. My cousin just kind of for fun. taught us, yeah, just for fun in the garage kind of thing. And my yeah. cousin, who worked at a brewery called Nation Brewing Company, kind cool. of introduced us into it. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we kind of just one day after another, we started brewing new beer. We started sampling it out. People, you guys have just kind of been friends for a while, or uh, Willie and I met at FOB maybe about okay. five years ago five or, or so. Years ago. Yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. So cool. we were friends before we started the brewing stuff together, but... Shared love of beer. Yep, shared love of beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about you, Willie, and how you kind of got into uh, wanting to do something like this. Yeah, so basically, we were, I don't know, we were just brewing at home, and then kind of one thing led to another. We were hanging out at, at the, the tap room, and there were some other guys around that were, you know, said, well, hey, it would be super cool if we started our own brewery. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, sure, I mean... Why not? Let's do it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, slowly but surely, we, we made our way buying stuff, trying to find. We sourced all this brewing equipment for this is... really cheap. It was uh, it was um, Alameda's in Portland. There, okay. Uh, old equipment. And we were able to get it for a bargain. So. Yeah. I mean, we had to put a lot of work into it. I know it was, it was just how you started, uh, but using the term homebrew, like this is, this is, <laughs> feels like a pretty massive operation you've got going is, now. It is now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 How many gallons of tanks do we got here? So this this system is <laughs> yeah. five barrel, but okay. we can push it to about seven or so. And what's a barrel? So a barrel is two two traditional half barrels, so the bigger okay. ones. Okay. Uh, if you're used to seeing the bigger ones, we also do six barrels on the side and whatnot, which is okay. 31 gallons. Yeah. Okay. So one barrel is equivalent to 31 gallons. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So yeah, yeah, and we do beer and cider. Um, usually about two, three ciders every couple weeks, and then two to three beers or so. Awesome. Depending on seasonals and whatnot. So yeah. yeah. And how did things kind of grow from where you first started, kind of uh, uh, learning your way? Um, what kind of kept you wanting to go forward with uh, this type of business, which I understand is not always easy to break into. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's already a really saturated market, so you kind of want to carve out your own niche. Yeah. So it's a lot of local, community-driven kind of, please taste our beer this or, and yeah. whatnot. And uh, friends of ours would stop by the FOB, and then mm -hmm. we would you know, sample out some beer and be like, hey, this is really good. Maybe you should do this. I don't like this one so much, and then we kind of refined it over time just to, you know, see what we can make. That, that Would you do really sort of like more formal tastings, or was it just sort of like kind of more informal? Just hey, informal, we, yeah. We've we, got it. We've got a new cooler. We want some. Pretty much, to try. yeah. We bring in a six barrel every now and then. Yeah. People will be like, hey, yeah, this is pretty good, or nice. something. Yeah, we didn't do any big releases until yeah. last year. So. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, either one of you is there sort of. Um, uh, unique things about your pro or like more unique things about your process or ingredients you use or, or um, yeah. ways that you've kind of carved out that niche that yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, we we definitely uh, focus on quality. So so we spend a little bit more money than we probably should, but you <laughs> nice. know realistically it makes a better product. Yeah. And as far as techniques go, I mean 
we focus a lot on the water quality nice. and the water chemistry and um, using the right the right the right water and the, the right water the right water chemistry and the right yeast depending on the kind of beer that we're making yeah so one might have uh, water from an area that's more um, more dry yeah right so so more, that would more have hard, hard water, minerals like and more stuff. hard yeah. water right yeah so. So, I'm, so I'm ignorant about all of this, but like, um, so how does one analyze the water, find better water if you well, don't like the water here? Well, like, you, to me, like, water is water, right? Well, like, well, you start with filtered water, and then, and then you use uh, calculation to mm. determine what, uh, you know, what, what brewing chemicals you need you run it. some type of analysis that says well, the that shows well, the sediments and stuff no, the or? analysis is zero they're just tasting it well the, oh. the analysis is zero and then yeah. you add in things. it's the same gotcha. concept as bottled water pretty gotcha. much it's right. like they add water, minerals yeah. to it to make it softer taste better and whatnot we're doing the same thing to mimic a style that we want okay. in our system gotcha and we start from zero pretty much so we'll it'll be pretty much distilled water and we'll move up in certain categories if we want it to be softer a little bit more kick to it, a yeah. little spice. More and, salty, but yeah, not. Yeah, salty, but not, not, yeah. When we say salty, we don't mean it'll taste salty. It's just, right. It's saltier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're getting water from distributors or, or no, from? No, no, no. Yeah, we, from areas. No, we get it from here. We have a well and, yeah. and then we filter it. We have, gotcha. Right up there, there's a, a reverse osmosis system up there. So it's okay. that, yeah. Cool. And then Behind we, the mannequins. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Behind our uh, <laughs> steamed, yeah, mascot up there. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. And then what other ingredients are you are you looking for and sourcing for making your products? Uh, well, I mean, besides just the standard malts that we would use. Yeah. That, that anybody else would use. Um, we go for some more unique malts that may not necessarily be used yeah you know so i mean we try to throw in some things that might cost twice as much mm. here and there or you know like um we're going to be doing a, a hazelnut porter which is going to have hazelnuts from local locally grown hazelnuts there they are yeah. <laughs> speaking so, of the devil wow so you know, you've got just a big pile of hazelnuts things like yeah that. and and you know we have um Peaches we get from local orchards. Nice. We're going to get fruit from all the local orchards that we add. Right to. here we in local. farm country, yeah, you like so tons fact, of farms. Right behind this wall, there's a huge peach orchard. Well, there you go. Yeah, so you don't have to go far. No. So we can add all that <laughs> to, back. Our, um, to our beers or ciders. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And then so. right down the road, the hop farms. I'm sure you've heard of Crosby Hop Farms yeah. and, and Top Wire down the road as yeah. well. So yeah. we, we used the Strata, their Strata hops in one of our beers not too long ago. So. Mm. It's all about local for us. Uh, yeah, it's, it's important to yeah. give back to the community. I do appreciate. I mean, yeah, they've done a lot for us, and mm. it's the least we can do. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of day to day, what is operating a brewery like yours, making your products? What does it look like in here? What happens in here? So basically, I mean, we'll if we schedule. Right? Yeah, we have a schedule. If we haven't created a recipe, we'll Willie and I will talk about it, go through a few days of, you know, what kind of beer do we want to make? What's the season like? What are the people drinking nowadays and mm. whatnot? So, and currently we have like a staple blonde ale, which is we the ale we make the most. So yeah. basically we'll do like a one batch day on blonde ale on a Monday or Friday. And then it takes about a week or so total, plus uh, conditioning and uh, carbonating time if we're doing those things for specific beers. Yeah. So from grain to glass, probably about, I don't know, two weeks or so, depending on the beer. Yeah. 
some beers take longer, lagers and stuff, because they got to sit longer. Yeah. Stouts. Age. It, yeah. yeah. Age to perfection. <laughs> yeah, you know? yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's the marketing word, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and your your end end results right now are um, are kegs, right? Uh, you yes, just wrap. No we are bottle production operation. only. Yeah. We don't have a tap room currently. We yeah. kind of use Fob as our faux tap room yeah. a little bit, and yeah. then shadow tap room. Yeah, we'd love to <laughs> to move forward one day with a tap room, but currently we're it's just very expensive. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. sure, absolutely. And, I mean, really, I'd say seventy percent of the job is cleaning. Yeah, yeah. So as far as day to day, it's sure. a lot of cleaning. Sure. You have to clean, 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 because the cleaner you could make your equipment, the cleaner the beer is going to be. Yeah, right? awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I can just tell uh, for folks who can't, who are only listening, um, it's very clean in here. Yeah, very clean and shiny. Yeah. You guys are doing a good job. Appreciate that. Um, another big thing, right, with being a, a brewery nowadays, especially, uh, obviously, to focus on the product, and you guys are, are obviously doing that, uh, but there's also... Uh, kind of building your brand, right? And, and right. Oh, yeah. your logo, your name. Tell me about how that process and kind of your your image, your your vibe that you're kind of trying to put out there, yeah. um, or that you're building toward. So we wanted to do something modern, but not like pretentious in mm-hmm. a way. So we wanted to do like kind of uh, classic, clean images and whatnot. Like vision kind of started up as um, like what 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 would we want to see if we were making a company? Like what would we align ourselves with so yeah. vision was kind of a thing that we it was kind of an open-ended yeah. part so we can i would say i get a know. little bit a little bit more kind of 80s a little bit of retro yeah, from your vibe definitely. yeah it's okay. uh yeah we have some the neon colors yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know the f- faux futuristic kind we want of it to be fun but still fairly serious yeah without being yeah. boring yeah right so absolutely yeah. a, lot, a lot of a lot of breweries when, when we we've looked at you know over the years i mean they're good and they've got they've got their logos and stuff but they tend to be a little too old-fashioned sure. so yeah we, we thought being being a little bit more fun with it would be good for the brand as yeah. far as maybe drawing in some younger people possibly or yeah i mean just and we do have some art coming out here soon nice. for various beers that we've made I oh mean, cool Oh, uh, and that those are always great to oh, see yeah, yeah. They're yeah great. i love I, labels I send them to you after yeah but, yeah yeah i mean uh, moon pool, like we have a, a space at an astronaut. And naming a, the beers is, yeah, is a great. whole process of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we go back and forth all the time for many, many days about, yeah. you know, this name could be cool, but maybe it's too much. Maybe it's not, I mean. Right. But. Right. He had to talk, talk you out of that one, the, the Michinator beer. Oh, that you yeah. You yeah, name so after <laughs> yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um. I was going to ask you, oh, uh, the, the logo, you guys aren't worried about the Illuminati coming after you or whatnot? Oh, right. so far we get there. that a lot, but <laughs> no, I'm not. Technically, it's a triangle, not a pyramid. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, the last thing that I did want to ask you guys was, um, I, I don't know if you're the first, maybe you are the first, the first I've heard of uh, for a brewery operating in this area, but isn't it crazy that with all the farms and all the tap rooms and, and wineries that right. we have... Here that there's not necessarily a bigger kind of brewing scene yet. Maybe it's coming, but yeah, I mean, uh, we're we're definitely thankful to be the first. I believe we are it, the first. It definitely one. wasn't by choice. Yeah, it just no, kinda, it just kind of <laughs> happened. That no, way. we stumbled yeah. on this. This was kind of a it's a labor of love, really. More yeah, than I yeah. Mean, and realistically, a, a real brewery like if you got investors and everyone came together and put it all together, mm-hmm. you're looking at a couple million dollars. Sure. 
right? And we've done it for a small fraction of that, right? So yeah, we're we're a bunch of pirates, really. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we don't have uh, capital investors. Basically, it's 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 minor. It's like we have a veteran, we have a farmer, you yeah. know, electrician, bar manager, yeah. I mean, a welder. Like we're, we're it's just, we're just a bunch of <laughs> bunch of misfits trying to make beer. You so know? so who else is kind of involved besides you two guys? So besides Willie and I, there's Kevin Offield, uh, welder, also a friend of ours who we met at the tap room. Who, who helps put your stuff yeah, together. Kevin's yeah, Kevin's built pretty much everything in this building. Yeah. Um, I mean, fabricated the stainless and whatnot. He's not here every day. He's just he's sort here. of on call. I'd say he's here most of the time. Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> he's here as much as he needs to be, just, yeah. just as we are. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's, wow. And then, I mean, uh, it's just going to get more. Yeah. You're just going to have to be here more and more. Yeah. So. And then we have Bob, who's a Vietnam veteran who frequents the FOB. Really great guy. Yeah. I mean, down to I think earth. I've met him. Yeah. Yeah. Hell of a dude. Um, Joel Offield, Kevin's dad. Um, also a frequenter of the FOB, as you can see, there's a pattern. And then uh, Tanner, which uh, went to high school with Kevin and then kind of met us through the farming area. Cause and they just help with the production, orchard. these yeah. guys? Yeah. So And supplies the hazelnuts because he owns TK Orchards. Which, oh, cool. You know, yeah. they supply hazelnuts and the peaches yeah. and whatnot and the grains and stuff like that. So, awesome. Yeah, it's a perfect storm of random people, but it yeah. works out somehow. Yeah. Uh, where can folks find your products? So we are in around 11 or so places currently. Um, okay. Obviously, the one in Canby, probably Fob Tap Room, and then there's a place down the road. Jarbo's just opened up. We have our beer in there. We have uh, a keg in Los Dos Agaves. There's nice. a, uh, um, Wilsonville. We have um, San Blas, the Mexican restaurant, and okay. then uh, Waker's Corner. Oh, cool. Waker's, great. And then coming, I think we have Filbert's. In Aurora, here mm-hmm. down the where, down the oh, way. Yeah, that's right. They bought and three. Then, they bought three cakes. Yeah, yeah, they're really excited about the hazelnut quarter. Nice. Obviously, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a few more places in Malala quarter in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're staying local right now, trying to you know yeah. help out the community and then go from there. Pretty yeah. much. Because um, we're self distribution too. Yeah. So it's. We, we have to be careful on how far we go. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just more work, right? So. In, in each of these places, uh, what, and it may be different, it probably is, but w- what products do you have? I guess in FOB, you probably have So at, at, at the FOB, we have the specialty beers. Like yeah. A lot of, like, we'll have the barrel-aged beer, which is just sitting over Things there. Things are more uh, yeah, the, piloting. The pilot beers, the fun stuff, yeah. and whatnot, the experimentals. And then in our staple right now is the blonde. It's pretty much the backbone of our entire brewery yeah that's in most and most the, of the places the, around the there cider. and then the cider yeah we okay. do have that sweet cider that's that's pretty popular nowadays as nice. well so nice nice um what's the blonde called it's called baby doll okay blonde oh. yeah yeah nice and the cider is just a regular the apple cider, cider yeah or? we just call it straight up apple okay just because it's what it says what it is yeah 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 there's no nice. additives no how long did that take to come up with that um anything else that you guys want people to know about or um social media you want to check shout out where people yeah we're doing a we're doing a collaboration coming up here with tmk creamery so just keep an eye out for that we're gonna do some email uh, me about that today yeah we're gonna do some special uh special beer for them and and then probably a little bit of a collab this summer but more on that later but uh yeah Uh, you guys are on facebook and things yeah we're also going to do a a collaboration with ancestry Ancestry oh cool so that'll be coming out in the next couple weeks, probably. So be on the lookout for that. Awesome. They're in Twelfton, uh, right? Yep. Ancestors in Twelfton. Yeah, so. yeah. Very cool. So, yep. Yeah. Social media. 
at visionbrewingcompany.com or uh, vision-brewing.com, uh, vision underscore brewing co underscore at uh, in Instagram and whatnot. So, okay. Yeah, we're on Twitter, Facebook. Find us all there and whatnot, and check us out. See if you're interested in yeah. what we're doing, and yeah, we'll be making recent updates. So awesome. We'll, yeah. Yeah. Make sure well, to let everyone know where we're where we're at currently. So yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, wish you all the best in this. This is really awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks so for coming out. Yeah. Tyler, did you know that the Australian lyrebird can mimic any sound that it hears, even chainsaws? No, that's uh, super interesting. Did you know that a baby puffin is called a puffling? Uh, or no. that baby sea otters can't swim, so their moms wrap them up in pieces of kelp until they learn how to paddle? Wait, do you know any trivia that isn't like animal related? Not really, but here's some stuff you may not know about the Wild Hair Saloon, where Camby goes to eat and have fun. Okay. The Wild Hair is one of Camby's longest running locally owned restaurants. Owners Joan and Darren Moden have been in business for 16 years. That's cool. Yeah, heck, you were just a baby back then. I, and, wait, what? And they love to give back. They've been members of the Camby Chamber for that long, and they donate over $20,000 to local sports, FFA programs, and civic organizations each year. Wow, I'm legitimately like caught off. That's cool. Yeah. They also support more than 30 jobs in the community through their award-winning staff, some of them as young as 18. Hey, that's older than you are. Uh, dude, I'm te I'm 10 months younger than you. With, with the days getting longer and the weather getting warmer, the Canby Wild Hair's expansive outdoor patio is the place to be. Furry friends, welcome. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to go check them out just off of Highway 99E next to the Space Age in Canby at 1656 Beaver Creek Road in Oregon City or on their website at thewildhairsaloon.net. Canby Then is brought to you by Retro Revival. They are not your average antique shop. Open daily. Find them on the corner of Northwest 3rd and Grant Street in downtown Canby. On Canby Then this week, and in honor of the Thanksgiving holiday, we wanted to revisit one of the most fascinating and intriguing episodes that we have ever run across in our digging through Canby's history. It happened right around this time of year, back in 1915. Two years prior, in 1913, Oscar W. Sturgis, a well-known Clackamas County pioneer and Canby farmer, made a very difficult decision. He had his 40-year-old son, Charlie, committed to the State Insane Asylum in Salem. We don't know the exact circumstances of this decision, but we know that Oscar Sturgis was in his 70s, and his wife, 15 years younger, was also in poor health. It's reasonable to assume that the Sturgises were unable to provide the level of care that Charlie needed. The Oregon State Hospital in the early 1900s was a dark and infamous place, which is not unusual in a time when mental illness was greatly feared and poorly understood. The hospital was underfunded and overcrowded. Later, its staff would participate in the eugenics movement, sterilizing more than 2,600 patients over the years and experimenting with practices now considered barbaric, including electroshock therapy and insulin shock therapy, where patients were repeatedly treated with large doses of insulin to induce daily comas. 
Is it any wonder that in April 1915, less than two years after he'd been institutionalized, Charlie Sturgis, along with another group of patients, escaped from the Oregon State Hospital? It was also not surprising, at least not to the local officials who were investigating the case, when a body turned up near the mountains of Eugene, near the Wendling branch of the Southern Pacific Railroad. The man, who had evidently been murdered, matched Charlie's description when he was wearing his hospital-issued clothing. Back in Canby, the Sturgises were informed of the gruesome discovery and sent a family friend, A.J. Burdett, to view the corpse. He positively identified it, noting a particular scar on the neck that was a match to Charlie Sturgis. The body was transported back home and laid to rest in a family plot at the Canby Oddfellows Cemetery. Months passed, and the family worked to move on and put the sad episode behind them. As the holidays drew near, one can imagine how heavily the tragic loss of their ill son must have weighed on his parents' heart. I can only guess that they must have blamed themselves for his death. If only we hadn't sent him away, they must have lamented in the dark, cold hours of the night. If only we had kept him home for a a little while longer, things might have turned out differently. Then, on November 21st, four days before Thanksgiving, a knock came on the door of the Sturgis family home. It was perhaps the most unexpected knock in the history of Canby. It was Charlie Sturgis, miraculously alive, smiling, and in good health, mind and body. The door had been answered by his sister, Bertha Hurst, who who was dumbfounded, obviously, and, and maybe more than a little afraid to see the man her family had buried months ago standing before her and waiting impatiently to be invited in. When she recovered, she took Charlie to his old room, then went to break the news to their mother. She knew she had to handle this carefully, given her mother's fragile state of health. She asked, Can you stand some news which might be a, a little shock? Oh, yeah, I guess, but, but what is it? Her mother replied. She explained that her brother Charlie was not dead. In fact, he he had just come home. Her mother promptly fainted. We had to put her to bed and call Dr. Dedham, Bertha later recalled. When Oscar Sturgis was told the news, he had the same reaction. Charlie, of course, had no idea that he had been pronounced dead, that he'd had a funeral, and that there was even a body in a cemetery with a tombstone bearing his name. And his sister was reluctant to tell him for fear of the effect this would have on his own mental state. He had, after all, been a patient at a mental institution only a few months earlier, and the only reason he was not still there was because he had escaped. For this same reason, he was not told of the impact his return had had on his parents. Everything possible is being done to prevent Charlie Sturgis from becoming excited, one newspaper noted. The truth slowly emerged over the next several days. After escaping the state hospital, Charlie had traveled to Washington State, where he'd worked in various towns before deciding he missed home and wanted to see his family. But this didn't answer the big question. Who was the man buried in the Sturgis plot? And why was he wearing Charlie's clothes, down to the patient number he'd been issued at the state hospital? Part of this was eventually answered when Charlie explained that the group who'd escaped the institution in April of 1915 had hatched an unusual plot. They had decided to all trade clothes before splitting up in order to confuse any authorities they encountered. But as to the man who was, and how, 
and why he met his grisly fate, we'll probably never know. One thing we can be sure of, the Sturgis family was much brighter that Thanksgiving. Oh, it is a happy Thanksgiving for us. Bertha Hurst, the sister, told the Oregonian, we are so happy because Charlie has come home, come home brighter than ever before. Our sorrow has been turned to joy. She said the family would not be returning Charlie to the state hospital, and also that the unknown man whose body had been buried in the Sturgis plot would be exhumed immediately and laid to rest elsewhere. No, hopefully they waited till after Thanksgiving. Unfortunately, we were unable to follow the threads of this fascinating story beyond 1915. But if you know anything about what became of Charles Sturgis and his family, please let us know. Up next is the story of the Shooting Star, a longtime member of the U.S. rifle team from right here in Canby. That's next time on Canby Then. Hey, I'm AJ. I'm your uh, local Oddmos franchise owner. I'm Mike, co-founder of Oddmos. And we're the hosts of The Odd Pod, a podcast that about life in the pizza industry. We're going to have on some franchisees. We're going to have some different vendors on. We're going to get a snapshot of what goes on behind the scenes in uh, the pizza world. Don't forget to tell them about the sports. There's sports. And the crazy, wacky pizza that we have every Wednesday that we create. And we also have a special guest every week as well. And I'm Gage, Odd Pod senior sports analyst. Gage, who gave you that title? Me. Oh boy. Find us on Spotify and Apple Music and the Podbean. Now Hear This Can Be is produced by me, Tyler Clausen. Our content director and star reporter is Tyler Frankie. And of course, our show is edited by Cameron Clausen. We also feature the vocal talents of Joy Struby and James Walden. So a round of applause to them. The song that you're hearing right now is Can Be by singer-songwriter Olivia Harms, used with her permission. To find more work from her, you can visit her website, olivia13.com. Now Hear This Can Be is dedicated to preserving independent local journalism and redefining local news with our fun, fresh, and energetic brand of storytelling. Our sincere thanks to our local sponsors who make this show possible. Please show your appreciation by supporting the small businesses who support us. The production of Now Hear This Studios, Canby's locally owned full-service audio, video, and media production company. Our mission is to produce the best content in the universe, and we'd love to help you do it. Find us online at nhtstudios.com. Um, I will take a motion to adjourn. I just moved it. I didn't even ask for it, though. (laughs)